0: Chapter 25 of A Voyage in the Sunbeam by Anna Brassey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dovey Cross, Taos, New Mexico. Ceylon. Thus was this place a happy rural seat of various views, groves whose rich trees wept odorous gums and balm, others whose fruit burnished with golden rind hung amiable hesperian fables true wednesday march twenty-eighth at midnight the wind was slightly ahead and we could distinctly smell the fragrant breezes and spicy odors of ceylon we made the eastern side of the island at daylight and coasted along its palm-fringed shores all day i had been very unwell for some days past but this delightful indication of our near approach to the land seemed to do me good at once if only the interior is as beautiful as what we can see from the deck of the yacht my expectations will be fully realized brilliant as they are as the sun set the beauty of the scene from the deck of the yacht seemed to increase we proceeded slowly and at about nine o'clock were in the roads of gal and could see the ships at anchor tom did not like to venture further in the dark without a pilot and accordingly told the signalman to make signals for one but being impatient, he sent up a rocket, besides burning blue lights, a mistake which had the effect of bringing the first officer of the P&O steamship, Puna, on board, who thought perhaps we had got aground or were in trouble of some sort. He also informed us that pilots never came off after dark, and kindly offered to show us a good anchorage for the night. Thursday, March 29th The pilot came off early, and soon after 6, we dropped anchor in Gal Harbor. The entrance is fine, and the bay one of the most beautiful in the world. The picturesque town, with its old buildings, and the white surf dashing in among the splendid cocoa trees, which grow down to the water's edge, combined to make up a charming picture. We went on board the Punah to breakfast as arranged, and afterwards all over the ship, which is in splendid order. Thence we went ashore to the Oriental Company's hotel, a most comfortable building with a large, shady veranda which today was crowded by passengers from the puna at tiffin there was a great crowd and we met some old friends at three o'clock we returned to the yacht to show her to the captain of the puna and some of his friends and an hour later we started in two carriages for a drive to wakwala a hill commanding a splendid view the drive was delightful and the vegetation more beautiful than any we have seen since leaving tahiti But it would have been more enjoyable if we had not been so pestered by boys selling flowers and bunches of mace in various stages of development. It certainly is very pretty when the peach-like fruit is half open and shows the network of scarlet mace surrounding the brown nutmeg within. From Wakwala the view is lovely, over paddy fields, jungle, and virgin forest, up to the hills close by and to the mountains beyond. There is a small refreshment room at the top of the hill kept by a nice little mulatto woman and her husband here we drank lemonade ate mangoes and watched the sun gradually declining but we were obliged to leave before it had set as we wanted to visit the cinnamon gardens on our way back the prettiest thing in the whole scene was the river running through the middle of the landscape and the white-winged scarlet bodied cranes disporting themselves along the banks among the dark green foliage and light green shoots of the crimson-tipped cinnamon trees we had a glorious drive home along the seashore under coconut trees among which the fireflies flitted and through which we could see the red and purple afterglow of the sunset ceylon is as everyone knows celebrated for its real gems and almost as much for the wonderful imitations offered for sale by the natives some are made in birmingham and exported but many are made here and in India, and are far better in appearance than ours, or even those of Paris. More than once in the course of our drive, half-naked Indians produced from their waistcloths rubies, sapphires, and emeralds, for which they asked from one to four thousand rupees, and gratefully took fourpence after a long run with the carriage and much vociferation and gesticulation. After a table d'hote dinner at the hotel, we went off to the yacht in a pilot boat, The buoys were all illuminated, and boats with four or five men in them, provided with torches, were in readiness to show us the right way out. By ten o'clock we were outside the harbor and on our way to Colombo. Friday, March 30th. It rained heavily during the night, and we were obliged to sleep in the deck house instead of on deck. At daylight all was again bright and beautiful, and the coconut-clad coast of Ceylon looked most fascinating in the early morning light. About 10 o'clock, we dropped our anchor in the harbor at Colombo, which was crowded with shipping. A 175,000 coolies have been landed here within the last two or three months. Consequently, labor is very cheap this year in the coffee plantations. The instant we anchored, we were, of course, surrounded by boats selling every possible commodity and curiosity. Carved ebony, ivory, sandalwood, and models of the curious boats in use here these boats are very long and narrow with an enormous outrigger and large sail and when it is very rough nearly the whole crew of the boat go out one by one and sit on the outrigger to keep it in the water from which springs the singalese saying one man two men four men breeze the heat was intense though there was a pleasant breeze under the awning on deck we therefore amused ourselves by looking over the side and bargaining with the natives until our letters which we had sent for arrived about one o'clock we went ashore, encountering on our way some exceedingly dreadful smells wafted from ships laden with guano bones and other odiferous cargoes the inner boat harbor is unsavory and unwholesome to the last degree and is just now crowded with many natives of various castes from the south of india Colombo is rather a European-looking town, with fine buildings and many open green spaces, where there were actually soldiers playing cricket, with great energy under the fierce rays of the midday sun. We went at once to an hotel and rested, loitering after Tiffin in the veranda, which was, as usual, crowded with cellars of all sorts of Indian things. Most of the day was spent in driving about, and having made our arrangements for an early start tomorrow, we then walked down to the harbour— getting drenched on our way by a tremendous thunderstorm saturday march thirty first up early and after rather a scramble we went ashore at seven o'clock just in time to start by the first train to condi there was not much time to spare and we therefore had to pay sovereigns for our tickets instead of changing them for rupees thereby receiving only ten instead of eleven and a half the current rate of exchange that day it seemed rather sharp practice on the part of the railway company, alias the government, to take sovereigns in at the window at 10 rupees and sell them at the door for eleven and a half to speculators waiting ready and eager to clutch and sell them again at an infinitesimally small profit. The line to Condi is always described as one of the most beautiful railways in the world, and it certainly deserves the character. The first part of the journey is across jungle and through plains then one goes climbing up and up looking down on all the beauties of tropical vegetation to distant mountains shimmering in the glare and haze of the burning sun the carriages were well ventilated and provided with double roofs and were really tolerably cool about nine o'clock we reached ambepusa and the scenery increased in beauty from this point a couple of hours later we reached paradinaya the junction for Gampola. Here most of the passengers got out, bound for Narela Ilia, the Centurium of Ceylon, seven thousand feet above the sea. Soon after leaving the station, we passed the Satinwood Bridge. Here we had a glimpse of the botanical garden at Kandy, and soon afterwards reached the station. We were at once rushed at by two telegraph boys, each with the telegram of hospitable invitation, "'whilst a third friend met us with his carriage "'and asked us to go at once to his house "'a few miles out of Conde, "'We hesitated to avail ourselves of his kind offer "'as we were such a large party, "'but he insisted and at once set off "'to make things ready for us, "'whilst we went to breakfast and rest "'at a noisy, dirty, and uncomfortable hotel. "'It was too hot to do anything "'except to sit in the veranda "'and watch planter after planter "'come in for an iced drink at the bar.' the town is quite full for easter partly for the amusements and partly for the church services for on many of the coffee estates there is no church within a reasonable distance about four o'clock the carriage came round for us and having dispatched the luggage in agari we drove round the lovely lake and so out to paradonia where our friend lives close to the botanic gardens many of the huts and cottages by the roadside have smallpox written upon them in large letters in three languages, English, Sanskrit, and Sinhalese, a very sensible precaution, for the natives are seldom vaccinated, and this terrible disease is a real scourge amongst them. Having reached the charming bungalow, it was a real luxury to lounge in a comfortable, easy chair in a deep, cool veranda and to inhale the fragrance of the flowers whilst lazily watching the setting of the sun. Directly it dipped below the horizon, glow worms and fireflies came out, bright and numerous as though the stars had come down to tread, or rather fly, a fairy dance among the branches of the tall palm trees high overhead. Our rooms were most comfortable and the baths delicious. After dinner we all adjourned once more to the veranda to watch the dancing fireflies, the lightning and the heavy thunderclouds, and enjoy the cool evening breeze. You in England who have never been in the tropics cannot appreciate the intense delight of that sensation then we went to bed and passed a most luxurious night of cool and comfortable sleep not tossing restlessly about as we had been doing for some time past sunday april first i awoke before daylight our bed faced the windows which were wide open without blinds curtains or shutters and i lay and watched the light gradually creeping over the trees landscape and garden and the sun rising glorious from behind the distant mountains shining brightly into the garden drawing out a thousand fresh fragrances from every leaf and flower by seven o'clock we found ourselves enjoying an early tea within the pretty bungalow in the centre of the botanic gardens and thoroughly appreciating delicious fresh butter and cream the first we have tasted for ages we went for the most delightful stroll afterwards and saw for the first time many botanical curiosities and several familiar old friends growing in greater luxuriance than our eyes are even yet accustomed to the groups of palms were most beautiful i never saw anything finer than the talipot palm and the areca with the betel-vine climbing round it besides splendid specimens of the ketul or jaggery palm then there was the palmyra which to the inhabitant of the north of ceylon is what the coconut is to the inhabitant of the south food clothing and lodging the pitcher plants and the rare scarlet amherstia looked lovely as did also the great groups of yellow and green stemmed bamboos there were magnolias shaddocks hibiscus the almost too fragrant yellow-flowered champak sacred to hindu mythology nutmeg and cinnamon trees, tea and coffee, and every other conceivable plant and tree growing in the wildest luxuriance. Through the center of the gardens flows the river Ambanganja, and the whole 140 acres are laid out so like an English park that, were it not for the unfamiliar foliage you might fancy yourself at home. We drove back to our hosts to breakfast and directly afterwards started in two carriages to go to church at Condé. The church is a fine, large building, lofty and cool, and well ventilated. This being Easter Sunday, the building was lavishly decorated with palms and flowers. The service was well performed, and the singing was excellent. The sparrows flew in and out by the open doors and windows. One of the birds was building a nest in a corner, and during the service she added to it a marabette feather, a scrap of lace, and an end of pink ribbon. It will be a curious nest when finished, if she adds at this rate to her miscellaneous collection. After church, we walked to the government house. Sir William Gregory is, unfortunately for us, away in Australia, and will not return till just after our departure. The entrance to it was gay with gorgeous scarlet lilies, brought over by some former governor from South America. It is a very fine house, but unfinished. We wandered through the banquet halls deserted and then sat a little while in the broad, cool, airy veranda, looking into the beautiful garden and on to the mountain beyond. At half-past eleven, it was time to leave this delightfully cool retired spot and to drive to a very pleasant luncheon, served on a polished round walnut wood table, without any tablecloth, a novel and pretty plan in so hot a climate. As soon as it became sufficiently cool, we went on round the upper lake and to the hills above, whence we looked down upon Kandy, one of the most charmingly placed cities in the world. As we came back, we stopped for a few minutes at the court, a very fair specimen of florid Hindu architecture, where the judges sit and justice of all kinds is administered, and where the Prince of Wales held the installation of the Order of St. Michael and St. George during his visit. We also looked in at some of the bazaars to examine the brass chatties and straw work. Then came another delicious rest in the veranda among the flowers until it was time for dinner. Such flowers as they are! The Cape Jessamines are in full beauty just now, and our host breaks off for us great branches laden with the fragrant bloom. Monday, April 2nd Before breakfast, I took a stroll all round the place with our host to look at his numerous pets, which includes spotted deer, monkeys, and all sorts of other creatures. We also went to the stables and saw first the horses and the horse-keepers with their pretty Indian wives and children. Then we wandered down to the bamboo-fringed shores of the river, which rises in the mountains here, and flows right through the island to Trincomalee. At eleven o'clock Tom and I said good-bye to the rest of the party, and went by train to Gampola to take the coach to Nerera Eliya, where we were to stay with an old friend. We went only a dozen miles in the train, and then were turned out into what is called a coach, but is really a very small rough wagonette, capable of holding six people with tolerable comfort, but into which seven, eight, and even nine were crammed. By the time the vehicle was fully laden, we found there was positively no room for even the one box into which Tom's things and my own had all been packed, so we had to take out indispensable necessaries and tie them up in a bundle, like true sailors out for a holiday, leaving our box behind, in charge of the station master until our return. The first part of the drive was not very interesting, the road passing only through paddy fields and endless tea and coffee plantations we reached pusillawa about two o'clock where we found a rough and ready sort of breakfast awaiting us thence we had a steep climb through some of the finest coffee estates in ceylon belonging to the rothschilds until we reached range body here there was another delay of half an hour but although we were anxious to get on to arrive in time for dinner it was impossible to regret stopping amidst this lovely scenery the house which serves as a resting place is a wretched affair but the view from the veranda in front is superb. A large river falls headlong over the steep wall of rock, forming three splendid waterfalls, which, uniting and rushing under a fine one-arched bridge, complete this scene of beauty and grandeur. We were due at Nerera Elia, at six, but we had only one pair of horses to drag our heavy load up the steep mountain road, and the poor creatures jibbed, kicked over the traces, broke them three times and more than once were so near going over the edge of the precipice that i jumped out and the other passengers all gentlemen walked the whole of that stage the next was no better the fresh pair of horses jibbing and kicking worse than ever at last one kicked himself free of all the harness and fell on his back in a deep ditch if it had not been so tiresome it really would have been very laughable especially as everybody was more or less afraid of the poor horse's heels and did not in the least know how to extricate him in this dilemma our hunting experiences came in usefully for with the aid of a trace instead of a stirrup leather passed round his neck half a dozen men managed to haul the horse onto his legs again but the pitchy darkness rendered the repair of damages an exceedingly difficult task the horses moreover even when once more in their proper position declined to move But the gentlemen pushed and the drivers flogged and shouted, and very slowly and with many stops we ultimately reached the end of that stage. Here we found a young horse, who had no idea at all of harness, so, after a vain attempt to utilize his services, another was sent for, thus causing further delay. It was now nine o'clock, and we were all utterly exhausted. We managed to procure from a cottage some new-laid eggs and cold spring water and these eaten raw with a little brandy from a hunting flask seemed to refresh us all there was again a difficulty in starting but once fairly under way the road was not so steep and the horses went better i was now so tired and had grown so accustomed to hair breadth escapes that however near we went to the edge of the precipice i did not feel capable of jumping out but sat still and watched listlessly wondering whether we should really go over or not After many delays we reached headquarter house, where the warmth of the welcome our old friend gave us soon made us forget how tired we were. They had waited dinner until half-past seven and had then given us up. There were blazing wood fires both in the drawing-room and in our bedroom, and in five minutes a most welcome dinner was put before us. Afterwards we could have stayed and chatted till midnight, but we were promptly sent off to bed and desired to reserve the rest of our news until morning. Tuesday, April 3rd. At 10 o'clock, breakfast afforded us ample opportunity for a delicious rest and letter writing beforehand. Afterwards, we strolled round the garden full of English flowers, roses, carnations, mignonette, and sweet peas. Tom and the gentlemen went for a walk whilst we ladies rested and chatted and wrote letters. After lunch, we all started a large party to go to the athletic sports on the race course where an impromptu sort of grandstand had been erected literally a stand, for there were no seats. There were a great many people, and the regimental band played very well. To us it appeared a warm, damp day, although the weather was much cooler than any we have felt lately. This is the week of the year, and everybody is here from all parts of the island. People who have been long resident in the tropics seem to find it very cold, for the men wore greatcoats and ulsters, and many of the ladies velvet and sables, or sealskin jackets." on the way back from the sports we drove round to see something of the settlement it cannot be called a town for though there are a good many people and houses no two are within half a mile of one another there are two packs of hounds kept here one to hunt the big elk the other a pack of harriers the land leeches which abound in this neighbourhood are a great plague to horses men and hounds it rained last night and i was specially cautioned Not to go on the grass or to pick flowers, as these horrid creatures fix on one's ankle or arm without the slightest warning. I have only seen one, I am thankful to say, and have escaped a bite, but everybody seems to dread and dislike them. After dinner we went to a very pleasant ball given by the Jincana Club at the barracks. The room was prettily decorated with the racing jackets and caps of the riders in the races, and with scarlet wreaths of geranium and hibiscus mingled with lycopodium ferns and salaginilla. We did not remain very late at the ball, as we had to make an early start next morning, but the drive home in the moonlight was almost as pleasant as any part of the entertainment. Wednesday, April 4th We were called at four o'clock and breakfasted at five everybody appearing either in dressing-gowns or in habits to see us set off. They all tried to persuade us to stay for the meet of the hounds at the house today. Another ball tonight and more races and another ball tomorrow, but we are homeward bound and must hurry on. It was a lovely morning and we waited with great patience at the post house for at least an hour and a half and watched the hounds come out, meet, find, and hunt a hare up and down and across the valley with merry ringing notes that made us long to be on horseback we saw all the race horses returning from their morning gallop and were enlightened by the size as to their names and respective owners there were several people a great deal of luggage and though last not least her majesty's mails, all waiting like us for the coach about a quarter to seven a message arrived to the effect that the horses would not come up the hill they had been jibbing for more than an hour so would we kindly go down to the coach a swarm of coolies immediately appeared from some mysterious hiding place and conveyed us all bag and baggage down the hill and packed us into the coach even this concession on our part did not induce the horses to make up their minds to move for at least another quarter of an hour then we had to stop at the hotel to pick up somebody else but at last we had fairly started eleven people in all some inside and some perched on a box behind the horses were worse than ever tired to death poor things and as one lady passenger was very nervous and insisted on walking up all the acclivities we were obliged to make up our pace down the hills the pass looked lovely by daylight and the wild flowers were splendid especially the white datura and scarlet rhododendron trees which were literally covered with bloom By daylight, the appearance of the horses was really pitiable in the extreme, worn-out, half-starved wretches, covered with wounds and sores from collars and harness, and with traces of injuries they inflict on themselves in their struggles to get free. When once we had seen their shoulders, we no longer wondered at their reluctance to start, it really made one quite sick to think even of the state they were in if some of the permanent officials were to devote a portion of their time to endeavors to introduce american coaches and to ameliorate the condition of the horses on this road they would indeed confer a boon on their countrymen the coachman who was as black as jet and who wore very little clothing was a curious specimen of his class and appeared by no means skilled in his craft he drove the whole way down the steep zigzag road with a loose rein at every turn the horses went close to the precipice, but were turned in the very nick of time by a little black boy who jumped down from behind and pulled them round by their traces without touching the bridle. We stopped at Rangbadi for breakfast and again at Pusalawa. This seemed a bad arrangement, for we were already late. It resulted in the poor horses having to be unmercifully flogged in order to enable us to catch the train at Gampola. Failing which, the coach proprietors would have had to pay a very heavy penalty. From Gampola, we soon arrived at Peridinaya, where we met Mr. Freer, who was going down to Colombo. Tom had decided previously to go straight on so as to have the yacht quite ready for an early start tomorrow. I, in the meantime, went to our former hosts for one night to pick up Maybel and the waifs and strays of luggage on my way from the station to the house going over the satin wood bridge from which there is a lovely view of the peacock mountain i saw an englishman whom we had observed before washing stones in the bed of the river for gems he has obtained some rubies and sapphires though only of small size and i suppose he will go on washing for ever hoping to find something larger and more valuable on one part of the coast of the island near managan The sands on the side of one of the rivers are formed of rubies, sapphires, garnets, and other precious stones washed down by the current, but they are all ground to pieces in the process, not one being left as big as a pin's head. The effect in the sunlight when the sand is wet with the waves is something dazzling, and proves that the accounts of my favorite Sinbad are not so fabulous as we prosaic mortals try to make out the island must be rich in gems for they seem to be picked up with hardly any trouble at nura elia it is a favorite amusement for picnic parties to go out gem hunting and frequently they meet with very large and valuable stones by the riverside or near deserted pits large garnets cinnamon stone splendid cat's eyes amethysts matura diamonds moonstone aquamarine tourmaline rubies and sapphires on my arrival at the house i found that Mabel had just returned with some friends who had kindly taken charge of her during our absence and that a very old friend had arrived almost directly we left on monday and had departed early this morning to climb adam's peak the ascent of which is a long and tedious affair but it cannot be difficult as thousands of aged and infirm pilgrims go every year to worship at the buddhist or Mohammedan temples at the summit the giant footprint has been reverenced alike by both religions from the earliest ages its existence is differently accounted for however by the two sects the buddhists say that it is the footprint of buddha and that an account of its origin was written three hundred or four hundred years b c the Mohammedans say that it is the first step adam took when driven out of paradise they do not quarrel about it however but live very happily close beside one another in their respective temples on the very small summit of the mountain. The iron chains, still used by the pilgrims and visitors to assist them up the last weary flight of steps, are said to have been placed there in the time of Alexander the Great, and are mentioned by successive historians. After lunch I went to rest, thoroughly tired out with the hard work of the last two days, whilst the gentlemen went into Kandy to see Buddha's Tooth and a Brahmin temple. Just before sunset, we went to have a last look at those lovely botanical gardens. They were more beautiful than ever in the afternoon light, and I saw many things which had escaped my notice before. I have made acquaintance with the taste of all sorts of new fruits while here, more than in our former journey, but this is to be explained by the proximity of the botanical gardens. I expected to revel in fruit all through the tropics, but except at Tahiti, we have not done so at all. There is one great merit in tropical fruit, which is, that however hot the sun may be, when plucked from the tree, it is always icy cold. If left for a few minutes, however, it becomes as hot as the surrounding atmosphere, and the charm is gone. On my return, when I went to dress for dinner, I found on my table a nasty-looking black beast about six inches long. It looked very formidable in the half-light, like a scorpion or centipede. It turned out, however, to be quite harmless and a sort of millipede, and rather handsome with jet-black rings and hundreds of orange-colored legs. There are a great many venomous snakes in Ceylon, but they always get out of the way as fast as they can and never bite Europeans. All the roofs of the thatched bungalows swarm with rats, and in every house is kept a rat snake, which kills and eats these rats. I more than once heard a great scuffle going on over my bedroom which generally ended in a little squeak indicating that the snake had killed and was about to eat his prey. One of the snakes came out one day in front of my window and hung down two or three feet from the roof. If I had not been previously assured that he was perfectly harmless it would have been a rather alarming apparition in the dark and even as it was I must confess that for a moment I did feel rather frightened as I watched him spying about, darting his forked tongue in and out, and looking quite ready for a spring at my face. Thursday, April 5th. Another early start by the seven o'clock train to Colombo. We were very sorry to say goodbye to our kind host, and when we took our departure, we were quite laden with flowers, good wishes, and messages from mutual friends in England. It was a rather hot journey down, and the train seemed full, but the scenery was lovely. As we approached Colombo, the heat became greater, and in the town itself, it was almost insupportable. We breakfasted at the hotel in the fort, where we were joined by Tom. There is one very curious thing about the hotels here. The sitting rooms are all two stories high, with pointed, raftered roofs. The bedrooms are only screened off from each other, and from the central room by partitions eight or ten feet high, so that you can hear everything going on from end to end of the building. I am not at all sure that the larger amount of ventilation secured by this plan compensates for the extra amount of noise and want of privacy, especially when, as was the case today, there is a crying baby who refuses to be pacified in one of the rooms, a poor little girl ill with whooping cough in another, and some very noisy people who are making themselves both unhappy and cross over some lost keys in a third. While we were at breakfast, the crows were most amusing and impertinent. Every door and window was open, and they were perched on the top of the punkah, or on the iron crossbars supporting the roof, watching their opportunity to pounce down and carry off the bits left on our plates. They did not seem to mind the waiters a bit, and, with their heads cocked on one side, looked as droll and saucy as possible. People tell you all sorts of funny stories about them, but though they are very entertaining to watch and apparently perfectly tame, It appears to be impossible to capture one alive. By the time breakfast was over, we found that the sunbeam was already underway and steaming about the anchorage, so it was not long before we were once more on board. Going out of the harbor, we passed a large steamer whose passengers and crew cheered us and waved their handkerchiefs until we were out of sight, and with that pleasant, homely sound ringing in our ears, we bade a last farewell to Colombo, and started on another stage of our homeward voyage. The heat was intense, and there was a roll outside which at once made me feel very uncomfortable. There was no wind all the afternoon, and the sun sank into the sea, glorious and golden, as we took our last look at the lovely island of Ceylon, the land of spice and fragrance and beauty. End of chapter 25